we're back with a new episode of the Plastic Scale Modeling Hour, talk radio for scale modelers. Published November 5th, 2013, coming to you from our mobile studio, Ruby, this time near Asheville, North Carolina. I've got a really full episode for you this time. We'll get started right after this message from our sponsor, Grex Airbrush. If you're like me, you want an airbrush that is reliable, easy to clean, and more importantly, comfortable in your hand. One that is intuitive to use, which gives you greater control as you apply paint to your model. Whether you have excellent dexterity or have stiffness and limited mobility, then the Grex Tritium series is something you need to experience for yourself. Join the thousands of satisfied customers who find the pistol grip and trigger action design the answer whether doing fine, delicate work or spraying broad strokes to cover large areas. Grex offers a full line of airbrushes, spray guns, compressors, paints, and accessories. Grex Airbrush is the evolution in perfection. Find out for yourself by visiting them online at grexairbrush.com or by calling 626-289-7618 today. You've probably noticed a long delay between new episodes, and for that I apologize. We're still in the learning curve as part of our transition from a fixed-based living and working lifestyle to that of a mobile one. We've come a long ways, and we've learned a lot. From this point on, we are focusing on the future by planning and scheduling site visits, accommodations, show programming, and other aspects of working from the road. As we travel, we plan on attending club meetings, events, as well as meeting people and going to places of interest. We made a stop in Dayton, Ohio to visit the National Museum of the Air Force. The last time I visited the Air Force Museum was back in the early 80s while I was stationed at Grissom Air Force Base, Indiana. I was sent to Dayton TDY on a medical matter. I had to have a cast removed having broke my thumb a couple months previously. My dad was visiting us. So he rode along, and we really enjoyed our time touring the museum. A lot has changed. The place is much bigger, and most of the aircraft that were outside on the ramp adjacent to the museum are now inside. You'll also have to go through security, much like going through TSA. All bags are visually inspected, and you have to walk through a metal detector. My, how times have changed. One word best describes the museum. Dark. If you plan on taking pictures, be sure to take a monopod as a minimum. You're going to need to steady your camera and slow down the shutter speed to capture good images. Using a flash isn't prohibited, but it really isn't effective enough to get good depth of field that you'll want. I like what they have done to show the story, creating exhibits that capture a moment in time featuring the aircraft or artifact. The museum is broken down into several eras. I chose to start at the far end or the last building, then work my way back in time. This helped us to avoid much of the congestion. It seemed just after we arrived, which was just after 10 a.m., a large influx of people entered the museum. We spent three hours walking through the exhibits. We would have liked to stayed longer, but we needed to get on down the road. One of the things I'd like to see is this, such aircraft as the C-124 and C-133 opened up so you could walk into them just as you would on the ramp at an air show. I know there's never enough space in a museum to give every aircraft its due, but it's really nice to be able to see aircraft fully. 
Many of the aircraft at the Air Force Museum are hidden or obscured by other aircraft and artifacts, so you really can't get the whole view at once. An upper deck around the perimeter of the bays or raised platforms for those wanting to get a bird's eye view would be nice. When we return, we'll meet a fellow modeler who calls Hendersonville, North Carolina home. That's right, Chippy. Zeron tools are the perfect choice for our hobby and craft projects. They are made here in the USA. They are quality tools that offer the highest precision as well as comfort and durability. Let's not forget about their excellent warranty. Yes, Chippy, you have your own special needs, which Zeron Tool provides the best and most affordable solution for. And we know you demand only the very best. Zeron Tools are available from most hobby and craft stores. Visit Zeron.com today. Zeron is spelled X-U-R-O-N. We want to thank Zeron Tools for being a supporter of the Plastic Scale Modeling Hour. It doesn't take rocket science to build scale models. It's a hobby that even rocket scientists enjoy doing. That is true. And our friend today, fellow modeler, Bill Dye from Hendersonville, North Carolina. Beautiful downtown. Well, I think you're a little far from downtown out here. Yeah, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. But they still deliver pizza. But they still deliver pizza. That's very important. Well, given by the size of your man cave down here... <laughs> Uh, and just so you guys to kind of get this uh, in perspective, at one end is this massive model railroad set that he's working on in his retirement years. It's got its own kitchen, bathroom, a stash room, and a separate workshop, and probably a whole lot of other spaces that storage. we have in storage. Yeah. Wow. And you get to look right out into the backyard from this yeah. beautiful room. Yeah, it was uh, one of the requirements of buying a house. We uh, said, well, the darling tells me i got too many hobbies, and, um, and she's right. So we wanted a single-story house that would get a larger basement footprint. And having lived in California for over 30 years, it was frustrating with slab-type type houses or found, your, you know, with just a foundation on it. So it's like when we moved out here, I wanted a basement. So I got a basement. And actually, your basement's probably bigger than several people's houses put together in some parts of the world. Yeah, I've been told that. <laughs> but, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a big basement. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's, it's great to have. Yeah. And, you know, you can do just about anything you want down here. Yeah. And uh, there's the room for the train layout and the model room. And, yeah. And if you actually put a great big door over here in this one section, you could actually probably build a one-to-one -one scale airplane in here. <laughs> but I probably don't want to suggest that with your wife in the no, same No, no, no. You really don't want to, you know. <clears throat> I saw one of those uh, gyroscopic helicopter things for mm -hmm. like 100 bucks or something like that at a, at a mall, and she just said, no. <laughs> so, well, you know. You, you, are you one of those guys that has to sneak stuff into the house yeah. so the wife doesn't see it? Yeah, well, no, not really. No, not really. You know, I, she gives me a hard time sometimes, but not too bad. So you were saying you uh, started building models at age five? That's what my mother told me. Uh, I vaguely remember it. Well, let's see. How old are you when you're in first grade? That's about five or six, right? And for me, the, the thing that is indelibly burned in my mind is when I bought a Revell B-36 bomber box scale and I was so excited. I lived in, uh, in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Beautiful down, another beautiful downtown. That's near Pittsburgh. Steel town. 
<clears throat> and uh, so I brought this model airplane home, and uh, and as I was coming home, I I was so excited. I remember pulling the thing out of the bag. It wasn't a hobby shop. It was a was at the Murphy's Five and Dime store, and they had a little section with model airplanes. It was all the Revell and Glencoe and some, or maybe not Glencoe, whatever it was. Lindbergh, before, Lindbergh, Lindbergh yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so and I bought all that stuff and. And, but that's the one I remember the best, as the earliest one that I can remember. And my mother would tell people, yeah, he, she said, I'm still reading the directions, and he has it built. <laughs> that's what we did as kids. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just smear some glue on it, and in 10 minutes it's ready to uh, throw around. So then, uh, yeah, and I, 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 I did model airplanes for quite a while, and then um, I actually... Uh, did model rockets for a while too and uh, then when I went to college everything kind of stopped and um, got out of college was an aerospace engineering degree and then when I went to to work I was around 73 I was in LA where we were in LA and I worked for Rockwell on this shuttle and that's when I picked it up again picked up plastic modeling and um, at that time I think the only 48 scale was a, uh, was it a, it was the Navy, was it TV2, the Navy mm -hmm. trainer, and maybe one or two others, and everything else was box scale, or 172nd. Um, and I did build a 132nd scale P-51 Mustang, a Hasegawa, and a Folkwolf FW-190, and, with, and after those two were built, I could see my shelf space was dwindling rapidly. So I switched to 172nd scale, and then I started building models. We moved to um, San Jose, California, and it was up there that I joined the, uh, the, the Silicon Valley Scale Modelers, and, um, and I was with them for quite a number of years. So, um, yeah, it's been you know, interesting, to say the least. I sure enjoyed it, you know. Um, what I like to build is uh, early jets um, in the 72nd scale. The, what was nice about 72nd scale, at least in this, in earlier, was for obscure airplanes, you could build vacuforms. And so I built several vacuforms and, uh, and just kind of grew from there. And, um, and then I like, well, <clears throat> I always liked the prototypes which unfortunately always involves a lot of um, modifications, backdating. And um, I don't know, the kits that, that I would build, you know, I get like an Airfix kit and you cut the wings off. I, I did a YF-96A, what was that, the prototype for the F-84 um, Thunderjet. But it had a F-84G, I think, fuselage and F-84F wings and so I had to do some cutting and all that, but to me it was just plastic. You know, you pick up the razor saw and you make the cut. And, mm -hmm. and yep. if you mess it up, there's putty. <laughs> lots of putty. <laughs> lots of putty. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, I enjoy doing that. I, it's hard for me to build a kit out of the box. I always have to backdate it or do something and then, you know, I'm sitting there three months later trying to get it done, which a lot of people do, I'm sure. In a lot of the manufacturers, uh, Hawk was a good one to put out a lot of prototypes. The, yeah. the XF-88, which is a predecessor yeah. to the F-101. 
And if you look at the lines on some of their aircraft, you know, you could tell that they were basically modeled after the prototype and yep. not the production aircraft. Yeah. Yeah, and I about a few years ago, I started building a prototype of the Skyray. And that involved, that was quite involved. I'm not done with it, but it, it's, it's just about ready to be painted. But you had the, you know, the Skyray had that, I think it was like a J57 or some big afterburning engine. But the prototype was just some non-afterburning engine. And so you have to take out the, the back end and put in all this, all the plastic and putty and more mm -hmm. putty and more putty. So, but like I, like I said, it's just, <laughs> I get something as, oh, oh, I could do this or I could do that or I could make this prototype. And so, yeah. You know, it's like looking at the uh, the F eight Crusader in its earliest yeah. days. It was very clean, very yeah. very blended lines, and then you get way mm. towards the end when it was trying to compete. It's bumpy. It got bumpy, but yeah. also when they tried to make it more than what it was, make the Super Crusader, yeah. it had all these angles on yeah. it, and these bigger wings, and this big chin intake. You yeah. know, and that's in the that's in the not completed yet, but. But work has been done on a Crusader prototype, and I, you know, I think you you mentioned the, the clean lines, and I think that's one of the things that attracts me about the prototypes is they're clean. I'm not, I don't know, I you know, like if 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 you're building like an A an A7 with all the bombs hanging off the wings, yeah, okay, but to me it's like an F104 clean and a Crusader clean. I built a I, I backdated an A4 Skyhawk to the prototype. Put yeah, the, I see that over there in your case. Yeah, it put looks, the, you know, put the pointy nose on yep, it. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah, you <clears throat> with the pointy nose. Now that was I spun that on the with a Dremel tool, and and I just got a brass rod and I started, you know, grinding away at it and grinding away at it, and then I glued it onto the airplane. Airplane, and um, let's just say from experience, you really don't want to drop the airplane. Mm -hmm. um, it. It's not only a lawn dart, but it's a thigh dart, and uh, that that kind of hurt. <laughs> I bet we could, we could do a whole a whole show on nothing but how I got hurt building scale yeah. models. Hurt, or how did I glue my arm or fingers to the workbench with super glue? That's probably happened to more people. Yeah, more people than they want to admit. The exacto yes. knife yeah. in the thigh. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. yeah. That really hurts. Yeah. Uh, what, that's a neat paint scheme. That's called blood. You know, that's blood. So what, tell us a little bit what you did. I mean, are you aeronautical engineer. You mentioned working for Rockwell on the space yeah. shuttle. Um, I went to Parks College of Aeronautical Technology, and it's part of St. Louis University. Belleville, Illinois. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. right next to, we were in Cahokia. In Cahokia. Yeah. yeah. And there was a little airport, uh, airport a little air, air, uh, Parks College airport. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the, I lived in the dorms there. And let's see, when was that? I graduated in 71. And uh, I, I loved that school. I mean, it was, it was, everybody was talking about airplanes and stuff. And it was pretty cool. I really liked that. Well, we, when, our paths kind of crossed them because in the late 70s or mid 70s, I was learning to fly at Scott, oh. and we used to fly into Bi-State Parks Airport, yeah. and I, I think my very first ride in a helicopter was with the Army Reserve Unit at, at Bi-State Parks, okay. and we flew UH-1, I think we first went on a ride in a B, and then H's, uh, so yeah, that was a... Yeah. That was a 
yeah. some crossing there. See, I never flew because uh, I had this feature when I was born that I was born cross-eyed. And unless that was uh, corrected somewhat, my junior high school and high school experience would have been even more stellar than it was. <laughs> So, but they did do some correction, but, and I wanted, all I wanted to do when I was little was fly jets. That's all I wanted to do. And then when uh, I got out of denial around ninth grade, I realized I'm not flying any. I mean, how many pilots you see with their eyes out of whack? So that's when I started getting interested. Well, if I can't fly them, I'll design them. And then I also, like I said, I got into rockets and stuff. So when I graduated from Parks in 71, um, I really didn't, uh, 71 was not a good time to, to graduate with an aerospace engineering degree. The Apollo program was winding down. Uh, the SST was canceled. There weren't, new, weren't any new bombers or fighters, well, that we knew of anyway, that were being built. And so I worked in a, uh, I worked in a lumber yard for a while, and then I worked at Simmons a mattress company they had a technological center in Munster, Indiana. My my parents moved to Hammond, Indiana. My dad was in the steel industry there. So I lived with them for a little while. Worked in the uh, mattress testing department, which was kind of cool when you go to parties and people say, hey Bill, what have you been doing since grade? Hey man, I work in the testing department of mattresses. And that always seemed to get a good laugh out of them. And uh, <laughs> so got married in 1972, April, and in December of 72, I got a call. It was the night they were launching Apollo 17, and I got a call from uh, a manager of North American Rockwell, and he said, hey, Bill, oh, and this is interesting. Uh, he said, hey, Bill, I see on your resume that you built uh, plastic models. Now, let's stop here for a second. When you're, what, 20, 21 years old, what do you put on your resume? Uh Went to high school, went to college. I, um, <clears throat> I uh, worked at CNL Supermarket. I worked at the steel mill. And then uh, what else? What else? Oh, I know. I can put down that I built plastic model airplanes. Well, believe it or not, that's the thing that got me into aerospace. Because he said, you know, I see on your resume that you built plastic model airplanes. Well, how would you like to work on space shuttle models in wind tunnels? And I said, you know, I, I'm really kind of liking the idea of putting price tags on Christmas ornaments in the lumber yard for buck fifty an hour. And he said, no, no, really, do you really want to do this? And I said, well, yeah, sure. So the darling and I picked, picked up, packed up everything and uh, went out to California, out to L.A., worked on the shuttle for about four years doing wind tunnel testing. And then we moved to San Jose in 77, and that's when I, uh, I was a rocket test engineer and I counted backwards from 10 for a living. And that was fun. Things blew up. So all that education, just so you could count backwards from 10. Yeah. Yeah, I never did uh, one, one uh, calculus uh, problem, uh, nothing. Um, but, I mean, I was in testing. I, I was a test engineer. And so it was, uh, you know, you have to figure out what the requirements of, a, of a, like a wind tunnel model would be. And the, the smart guys, the 4.0 guys that do all the analysis work, uh, and analyze all the data, and then I'm the test engineer, and I go and get the data. And I always felt bad about that. It's like, gee, I wish I could be one of you smart guys, do all the analysis. But, but early on, I realized as a test engineer, you gotta supervise people. There was model, there were model mechanics and technicians. You have to organize. You have to, you have to 
make schedules. So there was a lot of this management type stuff that I really didn't, it didn't even dawn on me until about four years into this. I thought, hmm, maybe this isn't so bad after all. So I went to uh, United Technologies and did sort of the same thing with rocket test. I mean, a test is a test. You know, you have to write a test plan and put the rocket on the, on the test stand and um, follow all the, write all the procedures and push the button. In 81, I went to Lockheed Martin Sunnyvale, and I was a propulsion engineer, and I was hired to work on satellites. So that started a career in satellites, and I, I uh, retired from Lockheed in 2007. And one of the last things I did at Lockheed was, um, it's called Iconos. It's, it's the very first commercial high-resolution imaging satellite. I know that's a mouthful, but um, all the stuff you see like on Google and uh, Yahoo when you're looking at maps and you can see your house, uh, the Icono satellite was the satellite that really started that. That was the first commercial um, high-resolution bird, and that was about one meter resolution, so you could see your coffee table from 300 plus miles up. So it's a significant stretch than using an old brownie hawkeye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, um, uh, I, like I said, I, uh, I retired from Lockheed in 2007, and uh, we moved to Asheville, North Carolina, stayed in an apartment, looked for a house, found a place here for all the toys, and uh, here I am in Hendersonville. It's a nice, nice part of the country. It's very beautiful here. Yeah. Um, it's nice. We're at about 2,500 feet, so it doesn't get quite as hot as it does like in South Carolina and, you know, in the lower, in the lower areas. Um, we do get snow, though, but it's not like Pittsburgh, where I'm originally from. On the way down here, because we were, we're staying up, uh, up near Asheville, uh, coming down the road, EAA's B-17 oh. was just pulling off the runway oh, and look over and here's a B-17 coming right, you know, right along next to you almost, going yeah. in the opposite direction. And I've been able to hear it as it's been flying around Asheville, giving rise. You know, I could never quite get it within range where I could see it in the mountains. Yeah. So I could get some pictures of it. But I'm very familiar with that airplane. It used to buzz our house when we lived in Nina, so mm -hmm. it was quite interesting. So as far as modeling, uh, any club affiliations in this area? Um, well, um, not really. Around here, it's it's pretty thin there there are some areas where there's some car modelers and and that's fine it's just it's not my thing um there's a club in spartanburg which is uh, a little maybe about an hour from me that's a little it's a little far i did go down there once or you know, maybe two or three times in the last oh six years they had a contest down there so i went down and you know took some stuff and met some people i met a uh, a fellow down there and um, but it, it's kind of far for me to go to meetings and, and such um, and I think there's another club but it's closer to Raleigh Durham um, so that was uh, I, I kind of missed the uh, I mean where I lived in San Jose there was the Silicon Valley mm -hmm. scale modelers there's the Fremont Hornets and I think there was one in San Francisco 
um, another one in, in Sacramento. So there was a, a lot of different, a lot of different clubs. What about model railroading clubs? Any of those? Oh, this place is loaded with model railroaders. It's incredible. The Hendersonville has a station, a train a station, a depot, and uh, they renovated it and they put a, a, a big HO um, uh, train layout in there years ago. And um, so I've joined that. I've joined that club. And there's also an N-scale club, uh, which is in a building kitty corner from uh, the depot. And the depot, uh, the train depot is open on Saturdays. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's like 10, from 10 to 2 or something. And a lot of people come and see it. It's mm-hmm. in, they have brochures in the visitor center. But there's also a lot of people around this area that have their own train layouts. And so there's a... Uh, probably a, at least a dozen or so uh, people that go to all the different layouts and do train op- and operate on their different people's layouts. So, um, yeah, this is, this is pretty rich, uh, yeah, rich railroad country anyway. Well, the railroads played a big part here in this part of the country too in the, yeah. early, in the early years. Uh, but there's a lot of modelers out there who don't just stick with one specific category. Right. A lot of guys... Uh, I've talked with the, on our show. We've had Al Jones from, he's one of the longtime reviewers mm-hmm. from Fine Scale. He's a big time Mylar Railroader. Yeah. Um, several guys in the club up in Oshkosh, which I'm a member of, uh, are Mylar Railroaders. Uh, one of the guys in our club always, as he said, brought Mylar Railroad shit with him, you know, yeah, just yeah. to kind of make a point. Yeah. But the, the principle of building a scale model depend regardless is the same especially if you're scratch building yeah it's the same techniques yeah. and then a, a couple of years ago i don't know i just caught on the and you know i, I was building when in, in san jose uh, i was building for contests and you know 72nd scale and then 48 scale got so popular that 72nd scale kind of dwindled and there was a, a friend of mine at the silicon valley um uh, scale modeling club, uh, Bill Ferrante, and he and I were just about the only ones left that are doing 72nd scale. And so we'd say, okay, is it your turn to put the, the airplane on the on the table or is it my turn? But, um, and so, you know, I, I, I got to the point where, you know, the contests were fine, but I was really going there to, to see the people that I knew and just, just have a really good time. When I got here in Hendersonville, I... I don't know, I just, I suddenly got, um, well, like I said, I was doing all these prototype things, and so I had all these models that were partially made, and it was just getting very, very frustrating, and I got to the point, I said, you know, I just have to build something that I can finish, and, and soon, and quickly. So I, uh, I got into a nostalgia kick, and I kind of, I looked at, uh, uh, we talked about the you know, the XF-88, and I didn't build that, but I found some of these space things, the Willie Lay uh, rockets, uh, the Glencoe rockets, mm-hmm. the TWA uh, uh, thing, uh, rocket that was at Disney World, so I bought that. And I bought the, jeez, um, I can't remember the name of it now, it's the one has all the tanks around it. I think it's the Glencoe Retriever rocket or something. So, um, and I... In the past, I was writing articles for the, the Hyperscale uh, website. And then I also, even though I was in, I came out here to Hendersonville, I would contribute articles to the Silicon um, Scale, uh, Silicon Valley Scale Modelers um, newsletter. 
and I haven't done that in a little bit, but I was sending them, so sending them some of the photographs, and then I wrote a little article. And um, so I did that for quite a while and, and built a lot of these, these old things, and I was just having a ball. And I, what, what really amazed me was just how much fun I, I was having. And, and it's like, wow, it just, it just kind of lit me off again. But, wow, that's right, we're supposed to be having fun when we're building this not worrying about every little thing that could be wrong with the model. And, and you know, in some cases that's the way it is, but uh, in other cases it's really fun to just build something and it is what it is. So. Uh, the, the, we, and it's always uh, seems to be a topic amongst modelers, uh, even especially on fine scale. It's got to be super exact. Uh, yeah. It's got to be, you yeah. know, it's got to be accurate. It, it becomes that, is that your fun of modeling? Yeah, yeah. It, and I, and you know, it's like, I, I looked at, you know, I have my display cases over here. And one time in 1973 or 74, when I was at Rockwell and I started up modeling again as basically as an adult, um, and a friend of mine there, his name's Ellis Chi and Ellis is a fabulous modeler. And, and I remember he went to a nationals once with a B29 and, uh, and they and he won at, at, at this at this place. This was in San Francisco. I don't remember. It was in the seventies. And they said, "Yeah, this is great, the B twenty nine. And he said, "Well, didn't you notice the X one that was underneath it?" And they said, "No." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, "Well, unless you did a good job on your B one bomber, or your B B twenty nine, but um, uh, what I noticed." And after several years of building these models, I, I built a model, a Hasegawa F100. And I got the books, and I looked at the cockpit, and I had to make sure that all the little dials were in the right position. And, and, I, and it took forever to do the cockpit. It took me like two weeks on a 70-second scale to do this cockpit. So now I'm done with the model. I'm sitting there looking at this thing in my display case, and I thought, now, when was the last time that I went over and I looked in that cockpit? And yeah, I know if you want to build it for contests and everything. So then I thought, all right, I think I'm going to scale back here a little. Um, I'm kind of a, if you're not going to see it, don't model it. Um, and I'm getting a little, you know, and when I look at my stash and I think, well, how am I going to build all these things? I can't be doing the exact cockpits in a 170 scale thing where I'm going to close the canopy and you're not going to see it anyway. So like, uh, what do they say in life? There's always compromises. But the, but there's, there's a lot of guys out there that that's the part of modeling they enjoy. And if that's what they enjoy, yeah. let them do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it becomes a disappointment to, to, to someone, as they say, they put all that effort in to put the fuselage halves together and, and it's, it's gone. gone. They know they, they did know it, it. Yeah. and that's fine. And that's fine. But they're telling you about, oh, I put all this, this, and then you look at, I yeah. can't see it. Yeah. Even with a flashlight and a magnifying glass, <laughs> I can't see yeah. it. yeah. Yeah, the the flashlights at the contest. I used to call them the modeler proctologists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, and and I don't know. Maybe it's just you know, as I'm getting older, and uh, it's like I said, it's like you know, you only you only have so much time to build a whole lot of models, and and I'm the one that's going to be looking at them ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. And hopefully, that if you're building, you're building for yourself and not somebody yeah, else. That's right. Um, 
if you're doing review builds or featured article builds, that's a little different. Yeah. You're documenting the process and showing all the steps so other people can learn what you're doing. And yeah. that's great. I mean, without yeah. having people who have the patience, you know, and the skill sets and the organization to do that. Yeah. Uh, we would be lost. That's right. You know, our our hobby wouldn't ha- wouldn't yeah. have evolved as it has. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk about building, you know, models and your, your mom's reading the instructions and you got it together to today. You look at the kits that are coming out today. They're so, they're so intricate, uh, with photo etch, with resin yes. and just the quality of the ejection yes. molded parts themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, it kind of it amazes me that you, I started out with 170 seconds just because of space. Yeah. It was easy yeah. to move. I mean, I grew up as an Air Force brat, and we would move. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to be able to take my models with me. Uh, but as you get older, your eyes start to get yeah. a little less reliable. <laughs> yeah. You end up getting, you know, glasses or the optivisors, and your hands aren't quite as steady as they were. That's right. But you're doing a train layout. In N gauge, I kind of figured you would go H O or maybe even up to O gauge. Well, the reason I I started in well the the reason it's N N scale is because in California when I I got in the trains around I don't know ninety five somewhere in there, and uh, in California there's no there's no basements, so you either have to put it in a spare bedroom or in like a den or make a shelf layout and so ho you know your train would run three feet and stop so at least with n scale it was a little you know you can get a lot more train in so then i started collecting all the n scale locomotives and cars and stuff and then when we moved here i had enough invested in and i said you know i think i'm just gonna stick with n scale and there's a lot of n scalers around here too so and it's actually a skill that's grown yeah and I always wondered, you know, we're, we see a lot of uh, stuff in 148 scale. Yes. We're seeing a lot of, of things that were only in 135th scale mm-hmm. for the armor guys now making its way into 148 scale, mm-hmm. which is great if you're an O-gauge monitor. Yeah. But I don't, you know, HO was always that you could get a couple things. You could get a DC-3 or a C-47. Yeah. You could get a couple pieces of armor. Yeah. You know, there was stuff that was done mm-hmm. because... Talking about Airfix, you know, I can remember Airfix had this great 176 scale stuff. Mm-hmm. But it didn't go well with 187 scale, you know, HO, yeah. and it didn't right. go with 172nd very well. Yeah. There's always this this disjointment between yeah. scales. And, yeah. You know, why can't things kind of just meld together and make our jobs yeah. easier? It's funny, I remember thinking that when I, when I was, uh, I don't know, I was in junior high school or something. and uh, No, I think I was still in grade school. Anyway, long time ago. And I had some, at that time, you know, all there was was like Ravel, like you said, Ravel Lindbergh box scale. So I built the the, X, the XF88 and the sky, the big white sky ray with mm-hmm. the little hatch in the door. And I, and I painted the engines glossy black so now I couldn't see them when you opened up the door. And anyway, um, and I remember looking at these things and I'm thinking, gee, wouldn't it be nice if they were all on the same scale? <laughs> yeah. And then, gee, what do you know? Somebody actually thought of that too, and they did it. So that's yeah, that's something. That's good. But um, yeah, I don't know. I've always enjoyed it. I always like. I don't understand what it's like uh, uh, for anybody that doesn't have a hobby. And um, you know, it's like I don't know what that's like, especially if 
you're retired, you know, <laughs> you're going to read the newspaper and watch, you know, Lucy reruns. I mean, to me, I got to be doing something, you know. And, well, and that's, that's the thing that, you know, that's, it was something that was always a, a topic of discussion amongst us in the military, and it probably holds true in the civilian sector too, is we could look at guys that are hitting retirement age. Yeah. And knowing, and it was always sad news that, you know, you see somebody who was getting, you know, they're at the 20-year mark or at the 30-year mark in service, mm -hmm. retire, and in six weeks to six months later, they're dead. They're dead. That's right. They had nothing after, That's right. you know, they you, had no hobbies. You have to have a plan. You have to have to do something. But, yeah. And and when before I retired, uh, well, like I said, I, you know, I... I wrote several articles for Hyperscale and for the Silicon Valley guys, and I enjoyed writing. And so about, I don't know, five or six years before I retired, I started writing, and not about, I wrote about a little bit about model airplane stuff, but it was kind of my life and everything, and then I realized, holy cow, I'm writing a memoir here. And so I wrote about my work experiences and you know, how I liked model airplanes as a kid, and and grew up in it, and, and I, and I, I did a, like a self-publishing thing for of my memoir. So I got I got the thing published, and I thought, gee, that's kind of cool, you know. <laughs> but and so I still like to do the writing part. Um, like I said, I haven't done much lately, um, but I always did like that too. And especially, you know, if if I'm doing a, a like that YF ninety six where I had to literally cut the wings off of mm -hmm. one kit and put it on another and and um, in San Jose, uh, there were a few people that say, you know, wow, how, how, it's like, how did you have the kahunas to do that? And I'm thinking, these are airfix kits. They're what, 10 bucks tops? And okay, if you mess it up, um, you, you get another one. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not that big of a deal. It's not that easy today, given the kit prices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's still, and, and this again, this seems to be a, a bone of contention for a lot of people that the hobby's gotten too expensive. Uh, but there's still price point kits. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of manufacturers who keep re-releasing the same yeah. things over and over. They'll stick a piece of photo etch in there or a different decal sheet. Mm -hmm. But you know, and they're, they're a little bit more in price than they were when we were kids. Yeah. But a lot of people look at, as you say, I want to just get something I can get done. Yes. And yes. get the enjoyment out of it, and then go on and do something else. Yeah. And in, I mean, my collection is ninety nine percent seventy second scale. Well, I should say ninety percent because more of it now is one one forty fourth. Because I have, I mean, in the closet, I got a B fifty two seventy second scale, same with B fifty two with an X fifteen, the B thirty six, B twenty fours, you know, just all these big air some russian thing vacuform mm -hmm. i don't remember what it's called and they're huge and um then i thought a when am i going to build these things and they take forever to build and 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 oh by the way there were most of them are silver so i have to do all the you know the the silver mm -hmm. paint deal and so lately i've been not lately, but I started replenishing the supply with 1144 scale kits. And now I'm thinking, I want to get rid of some of these 72nd scale kits. So maybe I'll do eBay or something like that. I don't know. You know, if you talk, like, I have done a few airliners, but you know what I find fun with doing uh, 1144 scale is, and I've 
back on the squawk box there's quite a shown different things I've done with them but if you can get them cheap because some of the 1144 scale yeah. kits are expensive right. but are. if you can get them cheap with a mm-hmm. you know discount coupon Hobby Lobby or mm-hmm. anywhere you know at swap meets pick right. them up cheap you can do a lot of cutting slicing That's and right. splicing and just get creative with yeah. them yeah yeah and and you know and for me it's like the airliners I built a couple of DC3 and I don't know DC4 and um, it's wow! I, I I had it done in in a, like a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I was still working then, but and that was kind of unheard of, even for seventy second scale. They have something done in a month, but you know, the 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 less detail you have to do, the you know, the easier it is. I mean, not that it was a snap, but because some of the kits weren't that great, and you had to do a lot a lot of putty again. Yeah, but. Um, you know, I still I still got to the point where, gee, this is kind of nice. I still get the effect that I want. I'm still looking at a DC-3. Yeah, it's little, but, you know, or a DC-4, DC-7. I think it was a DC-7. And um, uh, I said, yeah, I, I like this. And so then I started building more 72nd scale. I mean, I'm sorry, 1144th scale. So, yeah. So now I'm kind of doing both now a little bit. Where Just you, with the big stuff, the bombers. But so, where do you see the hobby going in, say, the next five to ten years? Well, I don't know. I hope the 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 prices don't keep going up from some of these things. Um, and I know years ago it seemed like the the kits were based on the on the ga- on the petroleum prices, um, and of course ex- imports and exports and all that. But um, the the detail is so like you said the detail is is incredible now so um, I don't know I, it's there may be uh, it it could be that the maybe coming uh, of an age where there's basically two markets there there may be a market for the I'll call it the very very serious modeler the wants all the detail the the etched parts and all that and uh, the casual modeler that you know put it together with your with your kid and in an afternoon you know one of those type of things um i don't know that's that's kind of my take on it anyway you know i was talking with gordon from screw brothers uh the other day and he says you know he, uh, he gets asked a question and he asks others the question where do you think the hobby is what do we think the the status is or the condition or where are we you know where are we at and some people will say oh it's the best of times because we're seeing so much new stuff coming into the market all these kits that we've been asking for for decades are, you know, they're coming on the market and it's just growing. But then, you know, if you look at it from the other side of the coin, you look at, well, there's fewer people entering the hobby. Mm -hmm. Many of those who are in the hobby are walking away from the hobby because they can't do it anymore. They just, for whatever changes in their life, um, economically they're not spending they're not willing to spend the prices for those kits that they're seeing uh so they're buying less so Mm -hmm. other than the people who are enjoying buying the kits are they buying enough to offset those who are spending less but and what's happening to get people into the hobby so even though we're seeing these great all these offers you know all these great things that are coming into the market as far as selection and choices how long can that sustain, you know, 
without the customer base. Mm. It's kind of, you know, it's rosy depending on which way you're looking. Yeah. You know, yeah. And what side of the coin you're on. I think it's going to take some time for this all to work out. Mm -hmm. And we talk about kit prices. um, But what isn't going up in price? Really? You know, I made the analogy, I can remember as a kid, you know, you get five bucks for an allowance. You could go down, and if you were into fishing, you could buy fishing supplies, including mm. some pretty nice lures. Yeah. You could buy a whole pocket full of stuff, you know. Today, that same five bucks won't even get you one That's right. package of hooks or a lure. Yeah. You know, I see these guys that go out and that love fishing, and they're spending $30 on a crankbait, and guess what? One time they cast it, it gets snagged, and they lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. $30 in a model, you know, that lasts you a long time. That's right. Yeah, a lot of hours go into that $30. You know, it's, you can, you can justify anything, but I I don't know. I I see the hobby is kind of at a turning point. I don't know what we're going to see as far as its longevity. I know the industry is, you know, they're looking elsewhere to to find, you know, venues to sell because there's not a lot of hobby shops anymore yeah i mean it was in everything's on the internet well and that's a whole discussion too Mm -hmm. you know talking about is the internet the evil thing that everybody wants to blame it on uh but you're looking at i think the last numbers i remember uh when i did an article for model retailer magazine for the for the trade side you know 1500 hobby shops in this country Mm. with for every one that was coming into the business, there was two or three going right. out of business. Yeah. So that it's just not it's just not sustaining yeah. as far as the local retailer going. But we're you know somebody made a comment. It wasn't that long ago, Walmart got out of the plastic scale mile business completely. Oh, now right. they're being yeah. reintroduced into yeah. some stores. You yeah, see? and like in in my case, I, I started collecting. There was a. I don't know, I can't remember the name of the, the place where I was buying. And I bought some models at the hobby sh- the local hobby shops in the San Jose area. But at that time, you know, it was well, Airfix and the early Hasegawa kits. And and um, and my good friend Dave Hansen would tell me, Bill, you have this Airfix kit of XYZ, but now there's this new kit out and it's, and it's even better. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, but I got one that I already have, and it may not be the best, but it's sort of kind of the shape and stuff. And the other kit, the new one, is $30 or $35 or something. And yes, it's probably, and Dave's right, yep, it, it is definitely a better kit. There's more detail on it. But again, I'm getting to the point where, um, you know, it looks like a duck. <laughs> it's it's a duck. You know... <laughs> And I'm friends with Dave, and we're, we're, we're on Facebook together, and we're just, you know, we see posts on Hyperscale, and now Dave's put you up to being on this program. Yes, he did. So now with turnaround's fair play. Yeah, we're going to yeah, have to yeah. get him on. But I, I see the work he does. He's oh, one of these guys that's meticulous. He's uh, fabulous. I'm not happy with the way the yeah. flaps turned out. i got to redo this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strip the paint off and redo it. I'm yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> It's sometimes yeah. it's agonizing yeah. to watch these guys, you yeah. know, and, I, and it's, again, <laughs> it's great that these guys are doing it. Yeah. 
But sometimes it just becomes this, come on, get it done, yeah. get it done. This is agonizing. I want you to go on yeah. something else. Like, I, mean, I know. Dave, is, it looks great. It's fine. No, no, no. I don't like We love you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. It's like we want to see you start the next project. Yeah. We're, we're, we're that. Got to have it now. Got to yeah, have yeah. it now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but oh. but it's, again, if it's what makes him happy as a modeler, that's all the better. That's right. And, Yeah everybody does their own thing and you know that is that's really that's that's one of the nice things about this hobby is you know you can talk about stuff like that you know i'll tease dave dave okay this is this one's for dave uh i i tend to get kind of lazy and so <laughs> if i'm building an airplane and dave knows that i'm i love uh operational jets that have like lightning bolts on them it's got to have a lightning bolt Makes it go faster. Makes it go faster. Makes it have bigger guns. Yes. Yeah. And so Dave will send me these pictures. Say, oh, Bill, here's here's something. And look, it's got a lightning bolt. So several years ago, uh, I said, <laughs> I was doing. I don't remember what it was. But I did a model, and I and I had a decal sheet, and it had a lightning bolt on it. And I said, yeah, that's okay. So I put the decal on it, and he and Dave said, mm, yeah, that, that, that's good, Bill. That's what? How'd you do the lightning bolt? And I said, oh, it's a decal. And he said, hmm, oh, okay. So then. Dave did something, and he had one with, I think, a lightning bolt on it. And I said, gee, Dave, uh, how'd you do that? And he said, I painted it on. And I said, are you kidding? And he said, no. He said, I don't. So we got into this thing about decal versus painting on lightning bolts. <laughs> I can only imagine the discussion if we got around to doing checkers. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It takes me five minutes to put this decal around the, yeah. the cowling or the fuselage band, this, you know, checkered or on the tail. Yeah. And there's guys that'll sit there and spend three days just doing the masking to paint it. So uh, Dave and I, uh, we, uh, we go back and forth and I'll say decal and he'll say painting and decal, painting and, you know, the, 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 uh, the digs continue. Well, again, that's... But we have fun. That's the camaraderie of modeling. Yeah, it is. It's the yeah. same as the car guys or the motorcycle guys yeah. or even the real airplane guys. It's, you know, got to get a dig into yeah. to your friends. <laughs> you know, you're enjoying the time together, yeah. you know. But, well, speaking of time together, I think I really enjoyed this. I'm glad you, uh, we were in the area and we could get a hold yeah. of you. and uh, was come on in And uh, we'll hopefully see you at the Nationals in Hampton. I mean, it's not that far up the road. Well, that's not. You know, Hampton, Virginia is not that far away. Yeah, I can do that. Be a good weekend to get away, you know. Yeah, I can see all these airplanes with uh, decal lightning bolts. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe even Dave might even be there. <laughs> we can get the two of you guys to have an argument. Yeah, and we can record that. Yeah. But, well, you're gonna have to interview Dave and uh, and get his side of the argument. Well, I will. I'll try to make that effort to get him. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe it could be a good time to record that over the week over the winter. Um, who knows? We may be up in his neck of the woods by this yeah. time next year. Okay. Uh, not really sure where we're going to be. I know we will be at Hampton, Virginia, representing okay. Zuron, and we're traveling the country, visiting fellow scale modelers. Mm -hmm. We're going to drop in on some club meetings. And track so, cutters. Track cutters. Actually, I use them. I, you know, good. And don't, that's the brand. Don't forget the sprue cutter, the pro sprue cutter, and the pro yeah, PE shear. I got one of those too. Good. That was actually the 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 pro PE shear. And the pro sprue cutters were probably the two of the hottest selling tools at the Nationals in Colorado. Wow. So much so that we were having to have Zeron ship us resupplies in almost every other day. Wow. 
we we had some the very first day that we were at a vendor, but we they ran out, and we ended up getting them to ship us, and we started selling directly at the table, mm. and we sold out within. I don't know. My wife's over here in the background listening in. We, they were literally gone as soon as we said, here they are. Wow. Uh, so will we have the same uh, luck next year at Hampton? I think we will because there will be a lot of people that will say, hey, I want those. And it was word of mouth sales. Yeah. yeah. Word of mouth sales. Or they tried it for the first time. And let me just say this to guys. If you're at the shows and you have the opportunity to pick up anything, whether it be uh, tools, airbrushes, anything if the vendor's there and they give you an opportunity to try it do it it. we had photo etch on the table along with the photo etch scissors and said here try it and these guys were reluctant to pick up the photo etch and cut it because they know it costs so much it was there for you to try Mm -hmm. because we know that you'd you'd love what you've seen and those who did they were sold so, but you, it gives you the opportunity. The vendors are there to give you opportunities yeah. that you may not have at your local hobby shop or at your club meeting. So try it. Yeah, they want you to try it. So, thank you, sir. All righty. We'll see you again soon, hopefully at the pleasure. Nationals. Videoworkbench.com is the place to learn to build and paint model kits like an expert. Hosted by award winning hobbyist and owner of Video Workbench, Jason Garris. His videos show how to achieve top quality, contest winning results and demonstrates how anyone can make great looking scale model kits no matter the age or skill level. Join VideoWorkbench.com and Jason Garris on Facebook, YouTube, Blip.tv and iTunes to learn the latest tips, tools and techniques. Our travels will take us in the coming weeks to Savannah, Georgia, Jackson, and Orlando, Florida. But as you're listening to this, we're in Charleston, South Carolina. Soon I'll share on our website and our Facebook page our tentative travel itinerary, so you'll have some advance notice of where we'll be visiting next. That way, if you want to be a guest or suggest a guest, if you want to promote your scale modeling event, organization, or learn how you can support or sponsor the program, contact us by email. Our address is mailbag at theplasticscalemodelinghour.com. Fellow scale modeling enthusiasts, remember, it's not the workbench that makes the model. It is the modeler at the workbench. This is Hawkeye. It's once again been my great pleasure bringing you another episode of the Plastic Scale Modeling Hour, talk radio for scale modelers. The Plastic Scale Modeling Hour is produced, copyrighted, and syndicated by Voigt Media. The reproduction or rebroadcasting of this program is prohibited without the written consent of Voight Media. Until next time, see ya!
That's a wrap.